UX Podcast Episode 153. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbaum. And we're balancing business, technology and people every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden, with listeners in 165 countries around the world, from Japan to Iceland. I have to say that's a bit impressive. <laughs> well, before we dive into this week's um, show, um, wanted to remind you, or tell you, um, that we're hosting a live listener phone-in on Wednesday, March 22nd. Yay! Which is actually... Next Wednesday, I think, by the time you're listening to this. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to be live um, at 2 p.m. East Coast time, which is um, 7 o'clock here in Stockholm. Um, so uh, in all the other countries, you can um, visit uxpodcast.com slash live to find out what time it is where you are. Nice. Please. And that is so much fun. Please come and join us. Tell us ask us questions. And uh, on top of that, we're actually going to be attending Sweden's largest UX conference, From Business to Buttons. It's here in Stockholm on uh, April 27. And, uh, of course, we're looking forward to reconnecting with people we've had on the show previously, like Donna Litshaw, Mike Montero, and Alan Cooper, Mm. as well as introducing you to some more amazing people from our industry. And to get a 10% discount on the conference tickets, use the code UXPODCAST, one word. And today we have what a link, a link show. show. Today's a link show. Yes. Um, so um, for those of you who don't know, I'll repeat our little information about this. Um, a link show is when Pear and I gather together three articles or blog posts we've recently found or read, well, and read because we read them as well as find them, um, <laughs> and discuss them on the show. Or skimmed. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they're articles we've loved. Sometimes we're a little bit critical. But either way, hopefully we're, we're going to enlighten you with things. I think today, actually, we've got three that we, we actually quite like. I think so. I think, I think so. there were one or two things I may have to criticize. Oh, there we go. Uh, the three articles are Ruthless Prioritization by Brandon Chu, who is the product director at Shopify. Mm-hmm. How a Knowledge Kanban Board Can Help Your User Research, which is um, Kieran Kirkland's written that, and he um, leads the user research um, uh, on data infrastructure at the UK Government Digital Service, also known as GDS. And finally, we have The Dangers of Delightful Design by John Sato. Uh, he designs words at Dropbox, and he's previously worked at YouTube and Google. So, Ruthless Prioritization by Brandon Chu. Yeah, even just reading the name of that article you you really get interested because we know that sort of prioritization in project is one of the biggest problems and issues you usually come across mm. and brandon in this article he's outlined tried to attempted to uh, outline some frameworks for prioritization uh, in two parts uh, partly prioritization between projects and prioritizing work within a project all right um so those are the two scopes and he's, he's uh, outlined uh, several ways you can look at this. Uh, and, well, probably the, the one to start with, and the, the most pe- people are familiar with, is the one where you try and look at, uh, especially when you prioritize, prioritize between projects, 
the amount of customer value that will be produced uh, versus the amount of time it will take to finish the project. Project. So it's it's return versus um, effort, effort required. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I especially like his because uh, what people say is, well, how can you even evaluate return on investment if you don't know all the parameters? Mm. How can you? You don't. We don't know how, everything that we know to estimate the effort required. And he says, well, yeah, well, if you're about equally wrong every time you estimate, then <laughs> it's at least fair to compare the numbers you come ac- across. Or even if you don't put them on num- numbers, you put them on a scale somewhere. Yeah, that, that, that's mm. why, like when people doing mm. the mm. the presentation of backlogs, mm. when you give them. Um, give, yeah, give them numbers. Exactly. You don't give them like number of hours or anything yeah. like that. You just give it a number. Then it allows you to to compare. Yeah, compare it's like with like. Sort of a difficulty level, and these can be compared with those, but we have yeah. no idea how long they will yeah. take. Especially when you've done the prioritization mm. in one go, mm. then everyone's kind of had the same. You've come from the same point, haven't you? So. Mm. And he outlines various different models and timelines in, in, in this article uh, that you can look at. What I what I uh, like most about this article is, is the part where he's talking about prioritizing, prioritizing work within a project. And um, c- coming down actually cl- quite close to the end of the article is uh, this reasoning around quality versus speed as a function of product assumptions. And I'm going to explain that really quickly. Okay. We often have problems... Uh, that we're trying to solve, but we aren't always aware of if that is the correct problem we're solving. Oh, so yeah, so we're mm. guessing. We have a lot of assumptions. Yeah, mm. we're guessing at a user need. Mm. Yeah, All right. So the problem we're trying to solve is an assumption. Uh, the next level would be the problem is known, so we know we're solving the right problem, mm. but the solution we've proposed is an assumption. So, so we haven't tested in any way our solution that we've proposed to something the researchers discovered exactly right the the top level of that tier would be no major assumption you know what to build and what problem it solves on that scale would be that if you don't know anything you don't know the problem you don't know the solution everything is an assumption this the speed of getting something out is more important than the quality of it because that gives you something to test Mm. Uh, so putting something in front of users becomes more important there so that's a way of prioritizing specific items in your backlog. Um, and as, as soon as you come up to where you've actually done all the research, you've done a, you know that the assumptions that you had previously are now <laughs> close to true as far as true is in our world, then the quality becomes more important. You are allowed to spend more time on the solution because we, we know that we are spending time on the correct thing. Hmm. And I like this, this, this way of looking at it because that's a lot of the way that Agile works today. Put something in front of users so we can learn more, experiment, test, iterate, and and then work towards something that can become more high quality. Mm. And I, I know that you have issues with this, James. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, exactly. With the games mm. out there and working with, with guesses. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I find though that this, this, this line thing, though, it worries me about the, the way that we, we package research in this. Mm. That, that research is done with importance of speed. That's in the left-hand side of this. Yeah. yeah. So problem is, uh, so you're trying to solve is an assumption. So mm. you don't know what's right. But that usually requires we research. Mm. Mm. So research, quick research or slow research or go, good research, ethnological uh, okay, service. Yeah. You know, so when, we, when mm. we when we discuss researching mm. and talk to people like Steve Portugal and so mm. on, I mean. The, the the level of detail and understanding mm. you get sometimes you mm. can't rush it you can't put yeah. it out there 
as a as a five minute prototype mm. and mm. know everything there is to know about the the, yeah. the users, the needs, the the, the situation they live mm. in, and so on. So I'm, you know, I, I worry sometimes about the, the 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 fast prototyping and the the, the kind of getting stuff out there. That is that risk to the bottom or risk to the yeah, and that's something else you've mentioned to me before. I know that if we start putting things out there really quickly, mm. they'll become the things that live on, and we won't reiterate and make them better, but we'll actually leave them out there because they're sort of good enough. Yeah, because you you, yeah. you ship things. Mm. The whole thing about mm. getting stuff out there, then mm. yeah, we we mm. do the big grand um, you know, conceptualization, mm. the research, the thinking. Mm. We've come with mm. something you know a good good solution mm. based on stuff, evidence mm. we've seen, mm. um, research we've done. And then it comes to the development sprint mm. and it gets trimmed. Yep. Things get taken off because we don't mm. have really time for it. And we, mm. we, get, we hear that, well, we can put that in the backlog and we'll do it next sprint. Mm. And the next sprint doesn't exist. Not for that <laughs> poor little thing in the backlog because there's always something that delivers mm. more, more perceived value mm. and, and solves a bigger perceived user need. Mm that goes higher up the backlog and enters the next sprint. Mm. So you end up with that thing that's never really quite as, I don't know, delightful, mm. UXy, mm. satisfying um, as you originally envisioned. Right. And he, he tries to address this in some way by in his uh, part about the time value of shipping. Uh, mm. How much time should you spend building something? Uh, when are you done? Yeah. Uh, so if you're trying to if you're satisfied building for 80% of users and you know that 80% of the customers will get mm. value out of it, mm. maybe that's okay uh, because that means the 80% of people will get their solution quicker than if you would build for the 100% of users. Yeah. And that would take much longer. So 80%, those 80% that could have gotten a solution earlier on mm. would then have to wait. Right. I can see what he means mm. about this mm. being ruthless. Yeah. Because that, that's one of those ruthless decisions mm. to, you know, you're... Who do you throw out of the mm. balloon? Mm. <laughs> kind of, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and somebody has to command this, I guess. It's good to have models, but the models have to be used all the mm. time because otherwise this won't work. Uh, but you need to like pick one model that works for the team and stick to it Yeah. and make sure that this is how we prioritize our backlog and this is how we decide how much we're going to ship and when. Does he offer mm. any mm. any answer to the question about how, how you measure that, say, um, percentage. How how do you know that eighty percent of customers get value? No, that's that's the, sort of the trick question, uh, and that's the same thing as we mentioned earlier. That it's sort of a, a, a guess, I guess. <laughs> All right, yeah. that sounds very susceptible to to manipulation, manipulation, mm. mm. and and people's agendas. Right, but I think the numbers here are sort of an, just an example. Yeah, of so course. it's sort of a metaphor because yeah, but I'm thinking more of the yeah. framework that yeah. if you were if you were using this as mm. um, mm. if you're using mm. the kind of um, you know ship faster for eighty percent, um, do the extra twenty percent later. Mm. So the time the time value of shipping, if you're using mm. that as a framework, mm. and and all of these twenty eighties are based on guesswork, it becomes just the classic political battle of who mm. can who can be most convincing about describing their eighty percent. Yes, exactly. So, so it's the same as always. It comes it's down to communication. It comes and, down to yeah. the, the person who can argue yeah. best for their thing. Yeah. It's, you're just framing it in a different mm. way. But hopefully we can argue better if we have done our research. Or you 
include measurement. So you, if you work, if you if you make sure you've got more hypothesis-based experiments with this kind of thing, yeah. then then you've got a proof in the pudding that there is something you've things you are deciding to develop. You're not just putting them in a backlog, putting them in a des in a development sprint. You're actually packaging them in a way which means we do know whether that has delivered what we said it would deliver. Mm. So it's crucial you always include the um, the impact. True. And exactly, and if it's you not just measuring it in the in the front part, you're including it in the output. In so the output as well, it. yes, exactly. Mm. And then the one who has had the most right gets the most trust. Yeah. <laughs> and those things but are, all these things are so hard to measure. They are, and especially yeah. when you've got development teams, I mm. think, where these kind of things are detached mm. from mm. the development mm. team. I mean, they want to get mm. stuff out. They want to code stuff and do stuff and get it out there. Exactly. And a lot of time, they're not really mm. so mm. interested in if... Hmm. It was useful for twenty percent or eighty percent. Yeah, it's easier when you talk about bugs. He has a diagram for that as well. Yeah. If you have, if you have a bug that affects hundred percent of users, oh, then, then, of, then of course you're going to fix it's it. A blocker, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so you have to think about probably your features in that sense as well. Yeah, or if but it's a revenue, if it's a revenue, revenue impacting, yeah. then you suddenly the 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 value of fixing mm. the bug becomes very obvious because you can see well, if twenty percent of people are not being able to check out. Exactly. Then it's going to cost us this much. Mm. Yeah. But sometimes the things we work with as UXers are like a long-term commitment. We think that this will bring value over time, and it's so hard to argue for it. Mm. But I think the gist of it is have a framework for prioritization. There are, you don't have to choose one from his article. It's just, it's it's a it's a way of thinking, and it's something. It's a muscle that you have to work on. Yeah. And you have to keep prioritizing because if you don't think about it every single sprint mm. then you go off on a tangent and you probably do a lot of hours on the wrong thing yeah i think there's a, there's mm. a lot of mm. thought-provoking yeah. um examples mm. and frameworks mm. in this article yeah. but actually it, it, the, the title is the thing isn't it ruthless yeah. prioritization because <laughs> yeah. we aren't ruthless mm. in so many aspects mm. we're not we're not brutally honest. Mm. I suppose there's another way of framing ruthless. We're not brutally yeah. honest about things. True. We we don't kill our darlings. Mm. Um, we do over design. Mm. Um, we we're precious about things being done and and waiting too long to ship. Yeah. Even if I think sometimes we're too quick at shipping in certain aspects. That's exactly, it's a balance. Still not, I mean, um, we're still not ruthless enough. Everybody talks about Apple uh, as a as a, something that has contributed to the UX world, but. They don't ship their phones like every month, and they don't even test with users in that sense publicly every month. It's mm. yearly releases. Yeah. <laughs> How a knowledge Kanban board can help your user research. Uh, this one's by Kieran Kirkland. You'll find it on the gov.uk user research blog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Kieran is describing a, a way in which the um, um, his team, who carry out a lot of research, um, are documenting, or at least their process for keeping track of research and documenting it um, mm. as they, they go along. And um, This I'll, actually I'll, I'll, this dovetails very nicely into what we talked just about. It does, actually. Yeah. I'll read a little bit from it. Mm. We need a mm. way to plan um, research and document it, document it um, and share it with the rest of the team and also integrate it into the way the product is developing. To do this, we set up a knowledge Kanban board. Mm. This board takes us through the process of generating research, generating research questions right through to answering them. We can also use it to share our findings with the rest of the team. Now, uh, those of you that don't know what a Kanban board is, it, it's basically three 
Swimming lanes, as they're called, yeah. aren't they? Is, that's not, is that Swedish? No, swim lanes are horizontal. No, but it's kind of, but isn't this, it's three lanes. Three columns. Three columns. That's the word I was looking <laughs> for, columns. Um, it's basically um, to be done, um, in progress and done, usually, mm. is what it is with Kanban. Um, and what, um, what Kieran and his team here have done, they've, they've, the example in the article is using Trello, um, and they've, they've, they've had, well, they split it with the six columns. Um, mm. There's um, what we don't know, yeah. the backlog, what we think we know, stuff that mm. is in progress, um, what we know, mm. done, um, and then three additional columns that help with the kind of um, planning. Um, so next, these are the questions that they're planning to explore in a future research sprint. Um, doing um, the questions that we're researching in the current sprint, um, which I think overlaps a little bit with in progress, doesn't it? Um, mm. Then presentations, capturing the presentations mat and presentation materials mm. um, and the, the, the insights, the results of what they've done. Yeah. Um, now, I, I really, when I saw this article, um, I, I thought, you know, because this, this, this comes up quite a bit about how you keep hold of your research findings, how mm. you utilize them, how you make best use of them. We've mentioned, we've hinted a little bit about this in the first article mm. we talked about that. Um, it's very easy sometimes that research gets swept under the table. Uh, right, and you have these deliverables like the personas oh, and the user yeah. journey map and you have that in a file or a report or a PowerPoint yeah. and then they get lost yeah. along the way. Or they might be, mm. they might be mm. useful mm. in a certain maybe team building process or something. They're, mm. they're not they're not embedded in the entire development process. Right, or as part of solving one of these issues that are in the Kanban yeah. board. And I and mm. I see, when I saw this, I, I saw the same thing as mm. well with, with analytics research, and not just um, the, the, the qualitative research, but also the quantitative research. Mm. That um, Same challenge. You do stuff, and sometimes you, know, you get lots of interesting insights or useful insights, valuable insights, mm. and then they aren't very strongly connected to um, an item in the backlog or something that actually gets added as a feature or mm. shipped. Um, and I like this as a way of, of, of um, keeping, not just in a team, keeping track of what you're doing um, and, and knowing what's going to be done. Mm. Um, but I also like the, um, the fact that it had quite clear outcomes. Yeah. Um, and that then got me thinking about how you would practically work with those out outcomes. Okay, like, well, that that um, I jumped very much into the yeah. end of the whole thing, but we can back up and talk about <laughs> the the other stuff too. But, but no, like when you find when you've come to a conclusion, you've come to insights, you found you've made a presentation or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, then I'm I'm thinking, okay, yes, we've got a board in Trello. Mm. We could share the link to that um, mm. that card mm. in Trello to people. Mm. Um, but why not also include, maybe you can add that to the, the, the item in the backlog. Mm. It can be just a link that you add in. Mm. Um, but it, it struck me in projects where I'm working on mm. with, with Jira, mm. um, you, could actually, um, you could actually enter the results in Jira yeah. as, as an item uh, and it, then yeah. make it a dependency. Ah, uh, okay. So, okay, the developers mm. themselves mm. might not mm. be completely mm. interested mm. in the nitty gritty of, of, mm. of your research, mm. but if you're the UXer mm. who's working in the in the development sprint, mm. supporting the team, then by having the research from your research sprint as a dependency mm. to the item, mm. then you can be reminded and be aware of the the, the, the facts, the data, the, the the why that lies behind exactly 
the thing that you're doing. The things that we tend to forget because sometimes we also have like compromises that we have to do and yeah. those will be documented as well. And possibly even mm. helps you prioritization. Connecting us into the first yes. article. That now and we're actually surfacing the research that helps us prioritize, mm. which maybe help us make the decision of why this is even in the sprint to be developed. Right, and in the continuous research, you'll have something to fall back on. And the same tool as the developers. And that's what I really liked about this. This is something that developers can relate to, so it makes more sense to them mm. what you are actually doing. Because mm. you can also show them a card, this is what I'm working on, and this is what I have worked on. Uh, I also liked what, what, that it's really clear with the labels uh, what we don't know, what we think we know. Yeah. Because uh, we don't always clearly label that stuff uh, in front of everybody. And people sort of tend to assume that we know this stuff, but... Most of the time, we don't know. And no. even, the, even the label, what we know, is, of course, wrong because yeah. we never know something. But. Uh, exactly. I, <laughs> I actually, I actually um, thought, when I, when I was writing my notes to this, I, I rewrote those three columns and made them more, <laughs> um, more connected to like, hypothesis building. Yeah. Um, so so the, 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 what we don't know, that's actually your, your, your presumption, your hypothesis. Yeah. What is it that we're... Or the kind of that question mm. about what is it that we, we're guessing? What's our, what's our guess? Mm. Um, and then what we think we know... Um, this is your this is your findings. Mm. This is what we've what we're con mm. well the conclusions mm. we've come to from the research, um, and then what we know the done thing. Um, that's your recommendation mm. or your 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 final formed hypothesis. So yeah. the, the 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 package thing which says you know because we saw this mm. we're going to do this, and we know we've achieved it because of this. Exactly. Yes. So so this mm. so you can tweak this mm. to make it into a, a, a kind of hypothesis board. Um, based on research yeah and then i can then i could use it for both the the you know the numbers and the the mm. the people side of things the quantitative and the qualitative and yeah. back it, package it both in there and build hypothesis and connect them to um items in backlogs and whoops, exactly. and it's oh. really really helpful when you have meetings with people and have to show what you're working on and what you've come across yeah. before and why you're taking these next steps mm. uh so that type of structured documentation i think is is a lot of us in UX are pretty bad at it. We, we have documents in Dropbox. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the transparency yeah. of this, yeah. the, uh, like you said yeah. about relating to the mm. developer's mm. world, mm. but also this, if you have this as an mm. open board within mm. your team or the, the wider mm. team, yeah. then they can see what you're working on. They can see what you've done. You can, if you do mm. link it in or add it into Jira, then mm. you, you're allowing something to live on Exactly. After you've done your little, moving on to the next. And um, also, if, I mean, great. if you're being replaced by someone, it's e much easier for them to mm. come in and look at the the past of of research as well. Yeah. As it says in the article, good documentation also makes your research more resilient, and I like that. Yeah. Now, in the article as well, they've got there's a Trello template that you can click on and look at and explore mm. and copy. Right. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, and he even suggests, Kieran even suggests mm. that you don't have to use Trello mm. or, or any digital tool. Mm. You can just use mm. Post-its, of course, mm. um, on a wall. Mm. Um, and I like this because even this article and the previous article, they, they present tools and they have their frameworks, but they're always saying that that's not the point. The point is that you understand the theory of why we need this. Yeah. It's not a, it's mm. not a dogma. Mm. It's, yeah. um, it's just an example of mm. what they've done and yeah. it's worked for them. <laughs> The dangers of delightful design. How delightful details can get you into trouble. By John Seto. This one caught my eye, of course, because I like it when people challenge our perfect view of the world that we say that UX is supposed to bring the light to interfaces and that's perfect and all and then uh, everything is peachy keen. You and know what I thought you were going to say? 
No, no. This caught your eye because it's got a picture of Kermit. Uh, that as well, actually, because I love Kermit. Kermit is, <laughs> isn't it actually? It's a baby Kermit. It's a baby Kermit yeah. holding a cupcake. Yeah. Which is delightful. <laughs> delightful. It got me. So it worked. It did. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't dangerous. It's Kermit. <laughs> dangerous is Kermit riding a bike without a helmet. Oh. But of course, the the point John is making here is that delightful things can have a neg- negative side effect. Uh, although, uh, in his first example, he gives uh, gives uh, a link to a site called a mo- what is it? Morimoto. Morimoto. That reminds me of a cartoon. Morimoto NYC dot com. Yeah, and really, the thing about this this example is that for me. It really isn't delightful. He's giving it ex- as examples of something that is delightful, like the buttons that are t- tilted at 45-degree angles, images that shift around when you move your cursor. So these are really, for me, distractions. I'm They're not- really glad you said that, yeah. because when, when you sent this yeah, one yeah. to me to read, mm. first, when I saw this, mm. I looked at the website, mm. and, uh, first reaction was, this isn't delightful. Yeah. This is over-designed. Yeah, exactly. So the example... Uh, in my mind, and yours obviously as yeah. well, is that this example is not a very good example of delight. Uh, but not the points, the points that he goes on to make, I like. Agreed, agreed, <laughs> agreed. Uh, so, th- and and then and the general point, of course, that if you try too hard, then you may miss the mark. So mm. it's, it may well have been the case. I mean, he may have talked to these people. I don't know. And they've said, well, we tried to get some delight into the website, but yeah. they just completely fails. So of, mm. of course, the light is very subjective as well. Uh, and you, you have to really be, be careful uh, about that. But the, the great point he's making uh, in the second part of his article is the light has a shelf life. Mm. So if you start trying to be delightful, uh, it may work for a couple of weeks uh, or even that, mm. but it, depending on how often people use your product. But delightful is something that often is something that interrupts what you're doing so to catch grab your attention to make it more fun or or just just uh, make you more happy but maybe you that's not what you want if you use a, a product mm-hmm. on a daily basis mm-hmm. you don't want that interruption that distraction uh so you have to think about do i need to change the delight over time mm-hmm. based on how people use it that's true i mean mm-hmm. I, I think again about the 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 mailchimp High five! Oh that yeah, the the, the animated mm. high five mm. that the chimp does mm. when you um, send or you schedule a, a oh, newsletter yeah. in Mailchimp. Mm-hmm. Now, I've uh, got a friend who sends mm. dozens of mm. emails basically every day because mm. they work with 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 producing them as an agency. Okay, and that chimp with that high five isn't so much fun <laughs> when you <laughs> see it twenty times a day. And the, and then you can even feel like well. If they're doing that animation, it makes my workflow slower because yeah. I have to wait for that high five. So suddenly like, delight becomes mm, oh, mm. irritating. Yeah. Mm. And like he says, delightful details lose their charm over time. Um, wasn't, there, wasn't there actually some examples of when... Um, sorry if I'm jumping ahead of no, you No, the example he had, he had from was from the Android phone. It had a great animation that turned into the Android logo, mm. uh, which is lovely, but... <laughs> he, he he hated it after a few weeks. Yeah, because he saw it every single time yeah, he started exactly. his phone. Yeah, there was there was some examples that wasn't there about when he thinks um, it's safe mm. for you to be delightful. Wasn't that? Isn't that? Um, 
kind of connected what we're saying about with if you're using like a tool like Mailchimp or something, mm. and it's 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 been delightful every single time you send a newsletter, mm. but you send twenty newsletters a day, or you restart your phone every mm. day, and it's it's um it's not that much delightful. Um, there were there were certain safe places when you could do it, like when you first launch an app. Um, or when you kind of well, he, sign up or something. He makes the dis- distinction uh, with regards to scale. So he right. talks about small companies like startups and big companies uh, like Ericsson. Yeah. Uh, Ericsson does not add a lot of delight into their websites because they're a huge company. Yeah. They have so many people that have to accept the delightful details. Oh, you mean any, because of an international organization exactly. and there's like you know 50 websites yeah. and so on. Yeah. But if you're a small company with a very clear target group mm. like skaters you mm. know that you can say tubular and they'll really find that funny but that's not a word that a big company probably would use in their normal copy not not to look mm. C- mm. convincing mm. No. exactly uh so then it becomes hard to to identify i mean or even know how how far can i push this and how long can i feel confident that i can use this delightful language or, or imagery or animations and, and not scare away my users because, so as he said, also, what is what is delightful to someone could be scareful, scary for some someone else. But that's, is that implying mm-hmm. then that you can't be delightful as a large organization? Yes, yes, exactly. Hmm. Mailchimp, uh, as you gave us an example, is quite large. So now it is, yeah. But that's also a, a company that has a single purpose. It's sort of a single purpose company, a single mm. tool, mm. Uh, which a lot of people when they ask for good websites and, and they talk about the line is usually single task websites but you but then uh, even as a large organization mm-hmm. you can still be delightful or, or playful <clears throat> so is there a difference between delightful and playful you can be playful mm-hmm. um with one-off events yeah in campaigns usually yes yeah oh like mm-hmm. we say onboarding mm-hmm. yeah like you could be delightful mm-hmm. when you sign up mm-hmm. um or when you've 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 introduced a new feature mm-hmm. then you have, you have a moment there mm-hmm. where you could do it but mm-hmm. but nothing that repeats Effectively, that that is effectively what he's saying here, and I, I'm I'm tending to agree <clears throat> because as soon as you get up there and, and you <clears throat> have to follow all these guidelines and you think about also uh, from an accessibility point of view, the light is something that that requires a certain level of abstract thinking. Mm-hmm. Is this monkey being serious when it's telling <laughs> me this joke, or have they added that to the interface just to make me laugh? So with people with uh, Asperger's syndrome mm-hmm. or ADHD. They have a need for a certain level of, of mm-hmm. communication, so you may actually lose a lot of people by mm-hmm. by communicating in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And also the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the context. You've exactly. got to understand the, the user's context mm-hmm. um, as well as their oh, the personal attributes to understand whether the device is going to go and down. Mail, or Mailchimp not. passed that setting that you can actually <clears throat> turn off the fun stuff, and yeah. that's one way of coping with it. Of course, mm. I think it. I'm not. I'm not on limb here. I don't remember. But I think they even had something like uh, I want to be boring or something as the option. Oh, and then, but, that's, but that's framing but they it in a way that, that yeah. I know, exactly. But I'm not 100% sure that I, that's something I heard. I'm sure someone will tell us. At a conference. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else told me. Uh, so when it is, is it safe to be live? That's actually what you were getting at when you first launch an app, when you're setting up an account, so specific hmm. uh, points in time. But even setting up an account, if you're, if you're, Saying words or using words that people don't understand. I mean, this, you, you really need to test this. That's probably uh, what we're saying here. You really need to make sure. Can you test the light? And also, if we, if we loop back to our first article, mm. if 80% of users think it's really funny, 
maybe that's good enough. <laughs> are you are you willing to take that risk? Depends on how the other twenty react. If that makes them uh, more committed users who come back to you. If eighty percent, mm. if eighty percent think it's hilarious, but the other twenty twenty percent vomit. Yeah, I'm probably going to wonder about it. <laughs> how do we measure that? Buckets. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh. I threw you off now, didn't I? But, okay. <laughs> and, of course, it's already in the title. Delightful design can be dangerous, so make sure that you are aware of the risks. By all means, be delightful, but don't do it without thinking. Yeah, and I think this mm. does tie mm. into mm. the whole mm. um, ruthless prioritization as well. Yeah. If you've managed to get delight mm. through the prioritization process and into a development sprint, yes, ooh, you know, hopefully mm. you've mm. you've you know thought mm. this through and mm. you've you've done a really good job up to this point. Very true. Okay, so subscribe to the show if you don't already. Um, you can dip your toes into our back catalogue. Um, we've got I think it's sixty shows are available in the podcast feed. Um, and we've got another 93 on the website. That's very specific. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, links to um, links related to this um, episode. So the three articles we talked about and any other ones. Does that include think. this show? Well, come on. Can you add, add 60 to 93? What do you get? 153. What episode is this? Woo! 153. There we go. Okay. You've answered your question. Um, so the yeah, links for the show are on the website, uxpodcast.com. Um, and we also mail them out as part of our backstage email, which you can sign up for at uxpodcast.com slash backstage. Thank you for spending some time with us. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.